Well, welcome back to The Mental Society. I'm Amanda Dolan. On today's episode, we are talking to two amazing high school seniors about how they are using computers to help prevent suicide and help others find the treatment that they need. Their project is called Suicide Watch. I'm here with um, Lovick Jane um, and Shiv Nikra, excuse me, Nikra. Um, they're both seniors at Centennial High School here in North Texas. Um, Lovick is a high school senior um, and he has always wanted to test his limits. Um, as the co-founder of Explore Design Solve, he has been helping others harness their skills in STEM toward projects similar to the one we're going to talk about today, Suicide Watch, uh, to better society. In college, he intends to pursue studies in physics and computer science. And Shiv here is a senior also at Centennial High School, and he is involved in speech and debate. And this has taught him about uh, prominent social issues such as mental health. Um, and he's used this technology to help solve these problems. Shiv plans on studying computer science in college as well. So thank you guys for joining me on your holiday break. Um, I know that there are maybe a million other things you'd rather do than sit um, in, a, in a meeting with, with me, uh, but I'm really proud of what you all have created and I uh, think it's pretty amazing. So yeah, thank, you. Um, thank you so much for having us. Uh, thank you for being here. And uh, uh, let's start with just, you know, what does the, the Suicide Watch program do? Sure. So um, the project really can be broken down into three uh, key components. Um, the first is the processing of all of these Twitter posts. Um, so every uh, five minutes, our, uh, pro our program reads all of these social media posts within a certain region, whether it be a, a city, a county, a state, whatever region that we need to read social media posts from, Every five minutes, all of the uh, social media posts are processed by our software and taken to the next component. And that component is our machine learning model. So machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. And uh, this model has been trained by 600,000 example social media posts. And that has led it to have quite a high accuracy today. Um, and so because of these 600,000 example posts that this model has been trained with, um, we're able to process whatever post we read every five minutes and take it to the final component of our project, which is to connect the people with help. So whenever our artificial, artificial intelligence model detects suicidal social media users, uh, we are able to fortunately connect them with help with our partners across the nation. That is incredible. Um, and so, you know, tell me a little bit about what got you interested in helping with you know, suicidal individuals and, and helping with mental health? For sure. So I think the backstory that really affected me and Lovick was we're both involved in speech and debate. And a couple of years prior to us joining the speech and debate team, our coach had mentioned that one of our former team members had actually committed suicide and lost her life to it. And this definitely impacted us and really got us thinking about mental health, especially coming out of COVID in which I think we can collectively say that our mental health wasn't nearly as good as it used to be. So thinking about computer science, 
the loss of our former friend and um, uh, just mental health in general really combined all together and we created Suicide Watch. That was the main motivation. So it sounds like suicide has touched both of y'all really closely in the loss of this friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, I think sometimes people forget how many people actually commit suicide that, you know, in America right now, it's about one every 10 or 11 minutes, um, which is a lot when you think about it. And uh, I'm sure this is a statistic that you all know, but for our listeners, um, suicide is the second leading cause of death for people 10 to 35, only behind accidental death. So, you know, when you think about it that way, that's like, it's a wild number of people yep. uh, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just, it's interesting. And so I appreciate that like you all took your own experience. So maybe others don't have to go through that. Uh, tell me a little bit about more, a little bit more about what your, the machine learning is looking for in these tweets. Sure. So um, this is actually a question we get a lot when we first pitch our project to, you know, potential partners and people just interested. And the truth is that the model doesn't look for any specific words or phrases. Rather, um, it looks for an underlying tone that comes from or that has been found as a commonality from the many posts that we've trained it with. Um, So you can think of machine learning and um, artificial in general as a black box. Once this black box is fed with an input, it's expected to spit out an output. In this case, it's a label of whether a post is, indicates a risk of suicide or not. So we've trained our black box with uh, many posts from across um, a variety of different threads. And so it's able to encapsulate a variety of different um, contexts and um, situations that's, that potentially suicidal social media users might be talking about. And because of you know the wide variety of posts that this model has been fed, it's able to thankfully determine the majority of um, suicidal social media users within the regions that we work. That's, that's pretty amazing. And I, it's a lot of people that are suicidal, right? Don't say I'm planning on killing myself. There's, there's warning signs and a lot of them aren't even I'm thinking about killing myself. They just do. I think that's right. something that a lot of people don't realize, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it's not a, you don't always know who is thinking about it. Exactly. So that making, I think it's interesting that you're using that undertone, like the tone of the, the comments in the post, as opposed to the words specifically. Um, and that's really fascinating. So how, when you're talking about that tone, what, can you tell me more about like what that sounds like or looks like, I guess, if you're reading it? Or do you even know, Does the is the computer the the magic black box that knows all and we trust it because it's working? Yeah, so um, there's no, I guess, I guess the, um, the magic behind machine learning is that there is no concrete way to describe it. It's that um, pattern from all of these social media posts that it has picked up from all of the examples, um, which is, I mean, I guess the, the really, the power of artificial intelligence that, um, that is taking computer science to that next level because you know up till now before artificial intelligence everything has been very discrete either black or white but artificial intelligence is able to um, you know we're operate in that gray area where there's no um, you know objective 
truth or false and and it can make sense of that right it's kind of like as humans we always have our own lens that we put on something and our own judgment that comes in the computer doesn't have any judgments the same that we do like where we you know like oh that person must be this way because they did that this is they don't know the names of the people or the age do they does the they does the computer does the artificial intelligence know names and ages and think i mean maybe names but ages anything like that of the the users no so it's just no it's just this tone that tends yeah. to be the same across all age groups exactly um I just, I'm, I think it's just fascinating that you all have figured this out. So these 600,000, right? Yep. Tweets that you all put in, where did, like, what made you pick those? Or were they just a random group that you found? So there was a set of uh, um, social media posts from, you know, a variety of platforms that um, a researcher um, had compiled and labeled um, as, you know, suicidal or non-suicidal. And, um, these posts weren't just, um, you know, they weren't just um, either indicating depressive tendencies or not, but they were really all um, examples of posts that people might consider as indicating depressive or not. But this researcher had actually gone through labeled which ones were truly from suicidal users and which ones were not. So that model now has the power to distinguish between what is de demonstrating a true risk and what isn't. Um, and so in addition to those posts, we took a feed of just a lot of uh, additional posts that were, you know, completely unrelated to suicide or any sort of depressive tendency, you know, whatever they may be about sports, the news, politics. Um, and so we added those in as well that um, obviously were not indicative of suicide to also allow for our model to capture those types of posts and label them as non-suicidal. Okay. I didn't, I didn't even know that there was a project like that, that out there where someone had compiled social media post and noted whether they were from people. So those were, he knew whether those people had committed or attempted suicide in the past. That's correct. Correct. That is really, really fascinating. And what a great use of technology. Have you all, um, have you noticed any trends in the people that, that you have connected with help? Are there certain ages? gender, ethnicity, anything like that that's consistent? Um, To be honest, we don't spend too much time looking into these individual people. Like we don't want to look at what their ethnicity is or what their gender is or what their age is. So when we detect a user that's potentially suicidal, our main objective is just to send it over to the mental health authority or one of our partners so that they can effectively contact the individual and deal with them. So we haven't been able to plot, plot these specific trends, but we have been able to connect these people with help. And so you, how remind me again when you all this program went live when you first put this out? Sure. Uh, so the program's been running or functioning since uh, about January of this year, um, okay. but and so it's been operating on um, a variety of cities across the United States. Um, but our first partnerships were actually secured uh, around August, uh, our first being with the Wiley Police Department here in North Texas. And uh, 
so obviously we, um, while it was our first location that we were actually tangibly reporting to, um, but after we secured our first few partnerships, now obviously we're working with Denton, um, we connected, uh, we were connected with the Texas Health and Human Services, um, which is actually the managerial group um, that operates over all of the Texas counties mental health authorities. And so from there, we just got connections that just spiraled into a lot, lots of more partnerships. And so now we're working with um, people across the nation, um, even all the way upstate New York. That is just amazing. And I know you probably don't know the specific number. I'm sure it changes every day. It increases. Uh, how many people about do you think you've connected with additional resources to help with their mental illness? It's just about above 500. So basically in four months, three months, you've impacted 500 people directly. And I would venture to say if you took all those connections that all those people have, we're looking at maybe a million people that you have directly impacted. And that that may sound like a really big number, but I think that that's probably, you know, realistic, maybe more. Because if you think about like all the people you know and all the people that they know, and that's the thing about suicide is it doesn't just affect the person that dies. It affects, like you all said, your friend committing suicide impacted you. And now you are impacting all of these other people, right? So it it grows and grows. Um, it's pretty amazing that two high school kids from North Texas have found a way to help prevent people from dying um, in a really unnecessary way because there is help out there. Um, and finding the help can be a problem. So exactly. when when you all were building this, you know, you said that you had to find the partners to work with. Um, what, did, what do you all look for in a partner to work with and what kind of services do those partners offer? So, so the, <laughs> or, or, Okay, yeah, sure. So I guess the main thing that we look for in a partner is just making sure that they have the capacity to take in all of these tweets and provide help. So we typically want to look for um, like hotlines that are a little bigger, like Denton MHMR, for example, is a pretty big hotline. So I would say, yeah, that's pretty much the main thing, just making sure they have the capacity to receive these tweets and making sure that they can connect these people with help. Yeah. So we've reached out to a variety of groups, um, you know, from crisis hotlines, police departments, mental health authorities. And really all we're looking for is that they do have the capacity to just connect the people we do report with help. Um, so we try to tailor our services as much as possible to their needs so that they are able to, you know, connect the people with help. Um, and so our goal is just to, you know, save as many lives as possible. And we're willing to work with virtually anyone that can help. So your key is getting people that need help to the people that can help them find the help that they need. Exactly. So that's, that's the whole problem. Um, and I think right, a lot of people don't even know where to start looking for help. So this gives them at least some guidance on where to go. Um, mm -hmm. Now you said that, you, that your program um, goes through every five minutes 
all the, yeah. not, maybe not all the tweets, but the tweets from a certain region or, um, and then how quickly do those tweets then end up in the hands of the people that might be able to provide additional resources? So we report the social, the suicidal posts as they come in every day of okay. how long it takes for the mental health authorities to connect them with help. We cannot be entirely sure just right. because, you know, their processing times and, you know, their lookup times. And then obviously just dependent on the specific mental health authorities themselves. Right. But we, we don't anticipate to take longer than a, more than a couple, uh, two, three days. That's fantastic. So you all give over the information. Sounds like almost as soon as you get it, like you compile everything. Every and then, day. So, so no one's sitting on this information for any real length of time because it is a matter of life and death. Correct. Um, and so when you all think about like what the future holds for artificial intelligence and um, healthcare, even in general, whether we're talking about mental health or you know, physical health. Um, what do you think, you know, what do you see the future looking like when it comes to artificial intelligence and healthcare? I think the future is just so bright for artificial intelligence and healthcare because there's just so many applications of AI. I know there are a couple of projects that I saw online where people were scanning or in AI was scanning images of people's um, like x-rays and diagnoses. And they're basically able to tell whether someone had diseases like pneumonia or malaria. And I think that AI in the future is just poised to really solve all of these issues and really decrease costs, which is a problem in the healthcare industry that AI can definitely fix. Absolutely. Just to add on, um, like Shiv mentioned at the end, um, costs and just burden or um, overhead burdens are a huge issue right now in the healthcare mm -hmm. space. And artificial intelligence really has the capacity to streamline and automate tasks that, um, you know, are clogging the healthcare system. So the healthcare industry in the future, I, I see, um, will certainly be able to focus more on the patients than um, they are able to today because of artificial intelligence. So almost as like artificial intelligence will free up people to provide care instead right. of the stuff that, well, a computer can do that's not required for that patient interaction. It's it's really to open up providers to work directly with the patients and be present for them there. Because um, I think about, you know, in the United States, I love random numbers and statistics. I'm weird. Um, but about 48% of the United States does not have enough mental or does not have enough healthcare workers. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, opening up their time so that they can provide more patient care, that changes a whole lot. And then when it comes to, you know, the mental health side, the number of providers is even lower. We just mm -hmm. don't have enough. Um, mm -hmm. And like you all said, I think, you know, COVID impacted a lot of our mental health. Um, Absolutely. Right, just not being with people, the fear and anxiety. Um, and there might be some people out there that will this will resonate with them. I didn't feel a lot of anxiety um, when it seemed like the world was ending. And I remember asking my therapist about it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, not that, like, it's scary, but I'm not like that stressed about it. And uh, 
he laughed and he was like, well, yeah, because like you're used to living in that like heightened state of anxiety and trauma. So that makes sense that you wouldn't be. But for me, that was my normal. But for people without a mental illness, it's probably not their normal. And so it did have a huge impact on the vast majority because, you know, there's only, only, <laughs> 20, you know, 20% have a mental illness at some point and then uh, 5% serious. So that we, that would mean 95% of people don't have a serious mental illness that they're not living in that fear and anxiety place normally. Um, and you talked about social media being a place where people share a lot of information. Um, how do you think social media impacts mental health overall? So... I am a firm believer that social media is not um, productive for mental health or for, um, you know, an individual's well-being. Um, but we made use of what social media provided us, which was this this um, democratization, really, of what people were really feeling, at least for a certain group of people, um, whether it be because of the lack of face-to-face -face interaction or the anonymity or um, just simply ease to, you know, post something online. Mm -hmm. um, people are more expressive on social media. And um, that's, you know, what a big factor that um, was critical in, in the start of this project. Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, even when it comes to bullying, I mean, and not like, not just the good stuff, but you can be anonymous so easily right. that one, you can say things ugly to people that you wouldn't normally say to their face. But like mm -hmm. you all are saying, you might also say something that would indicate that you're suicidal or unhappy that you might not say in real life to people. It feels safer, perhaps, because no and one's we, right there. Yeah. And we even see it with um, like shooter threats that people like the day before they you know take a weapon into a school they'll express themselves online and um i think that was that was the main um realization that no matter what your situation is a lot of people are expressing themselves online so if, if we can even save one life just because we found someone online before they committed the act that that would be so worth all of the effort and so that's what inspired us to take on this project. I mean, yeah, I because what is the value of a life? You know, is it, a, can you put a value on someone's life? Because I, I don't think you can. I know like <laughs> insurance companies and actuaries, you know, they, all the numbers. And the reality is like, if I were gone, my kids would be devastated. If you were gone, your parents, I mean, like, they would, I don't know your parents, but I assume that they would miss you a great deal and they would be very sad. Um, just like your friends, just like you were when your friend committed suicide. Um, so just, yes, one life changed is worth whatever work and effort. And I'm going to venture that you're going to save thousands and thousands of lives with this technology that's created. Um, even if you all hand it over to someone else, you all set an amazing framework for um, 
our country, the world, and the ability for people to know where to find the help that they need, um, which can be so difficult, like we talked about. Um, and before we end our chat, is there anything else that you would want anyone to know about what y'all are doing or how they can impart change in their own community? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if there's anything I've learned from this whole process, it's to just to stick to it because um, there's there's probably been a whole year that we spent in trying to get our first partnership and um, just 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 trying to um, you know actually make something out of you know the effort we put in and um, you know once once that first breaking of the ice happens, all of the benefits come at one time. So. Um, to anyone listening out there, um, follow your aspirations and no matter what happens, just stick to it. Eventually, um, you'll see through your goals and and it'll all be worth it. Awesome. Shiv, do you have anything to add? I think Lava hit it on the head perfectly. But if I were to add anything, I think one thing that I really learned from this project is that technology really isn't just about technology. There's so many other things you really have to consider when you're making a product such as forming partnerships and community outreach and things like that. So I would recommend that if people, again, if people are trying to um, make a similar project or do, do something to better their community through computer science, to really make sure to reach out to community leaders and seek their advice um, and, and use that to build their product. It's a nice reminder that, that there are humans behind computers too, and that, um, as great as artificial intelligence is and uh, this machine learning, humans have to be the ones to put it in motion and to make sure it does the things to make the world better and it it gets to the right people in the right ways. Um, so uh, thank you guys so much for taking this time to talk with me. Um, now is the time for our uh, mental memo, which is just a quick tip or trick to help you take care of your mental health. And this week's mental memo is a reminder, as we've just discussed, to take some social media breaks. Um, we can get stuck in a cycle of comparing ourselves to others, and um, we can get sucked into the yuck news and all of that. Uh, so take a break. Go outside. I don't know, play with your dog. Get a drink of water, because you're not drinking enough water. Um, and... Uh, you know, just take a minute for yourself and forget about that person online um, that said something ugly or um, that, you know, I don't know, it's just not great for your mental wellness. And uh, and then you can come back once you get that little bit of break. But remember that there is a whole lot more out there than social media. And I always remind people that when you compare yourself to other people's social media, you're comparing your real life to their highlight reel. And that's not a fair comparison. So with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation. Discover the ways that mental health is being experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places that you find your favorite podcast. And you can check out their website um, at projectsuicidewatch.org. 
And you can find more information, resources, articles about mental health and wellness by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. Remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. Until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental, and otherwise.